Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the Keeping It 1000 podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Use promo code DNVR when you sign up. I am joined by uh, my esteemed but also feisty colleague here, George Carl. He's come in a little feisty today as he has the last couple of weeks. Are we ready to battle today, George? Well, I think it's about time. I mean. You've been kissing everybody out now. It's, it's good to reality here, baby. Uh, I'm a lover. You're a fighter, so uh, it should make for a good uh, a good style fight tonight. We got a lot on the docket. We're going to talk about Demarcus Cousins, who's impressed me. I'm curious to see if it's the same uh, for you. Also, Bryn Forbes, Bones Highland, Monte Morris. I'm curious. We talk so much on the DMVR Nuggets podcast. We talk so much about rotations and, and how to do that. And I want to get a coach's perspective on how do you go about putting together lineups and rotations? What's the thought process? When does it happen? All of that. And then we might get into some new things. I, I know he doesn't want to jinx it. I hope he doesn't feel I am. But I think, uh, as we should find out here within the next month, uh, George Carl finally getting into the Hall of Fame. He's been nominated. Congratulations to you, Coach. Uh, and we're going to get into that as well. I know, I've said this before, I know that's important to you. I, and I, I think I even have a sense of how important it is to you, even though you've been very gracious in talking about it and what it would mean. Well, I, I think it's important to my basketball family. Yeah? And that's what's, what makes it important to me. I've been, sir, I've been given a lot of great assistant coaches. I, I mentor a lot of them now. Uh, and the friendships and relationships that you have in sport are deeper and stronger. And I think it would be fun uh, to have that celebration, not only for me, but for all the guys that are kind of in my circle or on my tree or whatever you want to define it as. And then my, my kids are into it. You know, my, my, my son's a coach. My right. son-in-law's a coach. Uh, my daughter is a high school athlete. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they, they, they probably get more feisty about it than I do uh, when you start talking numbers and why is this guy in and this guy is. And, you know, they have more arguments than I do. I, one of the things you mentioned there, because I think the Hall of Fame should tell the history of basketball. And I think here we are. I, don't, I think it's impossible now to tell that story without involving you. You've been that influential in sort of how the game's played. You're one of the few coaches that really has thought outside the box in ways that caught on, like you've been influential in that way. But the thing you said that caught me here was you have a real coaching tree. There are a lot of coaches that go through and they can have long careers and they might have one assistant here. Maybe they had one guy that went on. There's a lot of people 
that have become long-term NBA coaches that came up alongside or underneath you? Well, you know, in, in Seattle, we probably had one of the best coaching staffs with Tim Gergeridge, Terry Stotts, Dwayne Casey, and Bobby Weiss. I just mean, right there. That's just one, one bench. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Ron Adams has been in my life. Um, Vance Wahlberg is an encyclopedia of basketball that probably will never make a Hall of Fame, but was very influential with me. Um, you don't do it without good assistant coaches. You just don't do it. You don't build the culture. You don't get the support. And, you know, now you have Jamal Mosley and Nate McMillan and guys that, you know, are really close uh, to me and now getting their opportunity and Nate coming back, I think is fantastic. And Jamal has a, a difficult challenge in Orlando, but I think he's doing a pretty good job. You know, their team plays the right way for most of the game. They play very hard. For a team that's just not very good, not very competitive, they, they bring it. They play with a sense of pride. Yeah, and in a lot of games, I, I, I've actually coached bad teams a couple times, and you know, you play you play hard, and for 41 minutes, you have a five-point lead, and and then the team that you know has, has been messing around with the game decides to play, and usually within a four or five-minute stretch, they go on a 10 to two run and take over the lead and win down the stretch. It just happens. Uh, the, the biggest difference in college and pro basketball is eight minutes. And I have no idea why, but it's very hard to upset someone in the NBA without a purpose, without a reason. A lot of times in college, I think there's upsets because, you know, the game is shorter. Right. And a gimmick can, can work. Yep. And you can go to another gimmick and it works for the whole game. But in an NBA game, because of the length of it, it's hard for a gimmick not to be figured out. And the, the other guy, and then even the, you know, sometimes they'll react and, and sometimes they overreact. The, for my sake, I just think there's more basketball IQ in the NBA game than the college game has more in, intensity and more emotion. Right. But in, the NBA game has probably more talent and more IQ. Yeah, and another FIBA basketball I think is similar to college and what you're talking about. A shorter game, um, the foul rules are different. There's just more room for variance. And again, one and done as you get into the Olympic rounds and this or that, you lose, you're done. Anybody can beat anybody on a given night, especially in those shortened games. But yeah, you, you, I, when I coached in Spain, you could get upset. Yeah, a team can play a box and one or a one three one, and your team doesn't react well to it. You don't shoot poorly. You don't have confidence. But again, in the NBA game, the length of the game allows the coach maybe to find that guy that they need to find in the second half. And they have time to find, you know, maybe a change, uh, you know, whatever it means, mention your star or something like that. I think this is the year you get in. Um, I think it's going to happen, and I'm excited. And I'm excited to start the campaign here at DNVR. The next, we got a month here to really campaign and push this social. But one thing I want to ask you about. I haven't seen anything from the Denver Nuggets on the on the nomination. I have seen some from different people or, you know, organizations around some Seattle fans and this or that. But, you know, does it mean something to you? I mean, you take note of this when you say, wow, 
I spent a lot of years there. Your second winningest coach in, in in fact, I think you're only nine games. Are you nine games away from Doug Moe's record? Do you know? I think it's nine games. So you're right there. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, know I know we're both 400 and something. I think I'm in the t maybe 410 or something. Yeah, like it's that. like nine or 12 or 11, something like that. But um, one of the winningest coaches, either way, one of the easily the Mount Rushmore of Denver Nuggets coaches, in my opinion, uh, easily. And you know, it hasn't been acknowledged yet. What do you make of that? I don't think I'm the guy to ask that question to. You know, I'm, I'm, for me to answer that question, it would be more like I'm being jealous or revengeful or something like that. I mean, your honest opinion, how it makes you feel. And it, it, it's a cold feeling. It's an empty feeling. You know, I, I, you know, I think you always want to be appreciated. You always want to be supportive. But I get a lot of that support from the fan base. Right. I get a lot of that fan. I get a lot of that support from the basketball arena of coaches in the city of Denver. Uh, I get a lot of love, and I, I'm not lacking for love. But probably your best run in sport for me was Seattle and Denver. Right. Seattle was a little more successful, but I probably had more fun here in Denver. <laughs> I, I wonder how the average fan, I mean, some of this is just everything, the, the most recent thing is always the thing you think about, but I wonder, you know, how I think of you as a Nuggets coach. I know you had all these other places, but I think of you as a Nugget, and, and I'm just curious. I wonder what the average NBA fan, not Nuggets fan, but average NBA fan, if they view you as sort of Seattle and Denver or Seattle or Denver or this or that. But, again, Seattle fan base also, I think, has really embraced you in this domination. Oh, um, Seattle, the Seattle fan base is unbelievable. I mean, they they they've they've rallied around not only me, but our podcast is very popular in Seattle. It's one of the best podcasts that we do. We had Spencer Hayward on this this week. Really, really good. Really, really. It'll be coming out next week probably. Uh, but you know, it just seems like we we have a good karma going on in Seattle, and supposedly the NBA karma now has they're going to get a team. Yeah. What do you think of that, by the way? First of all, I mean, I know you're going to be pro-Seattle. I'm actually going to ask you to be very unbiased in this one here because I know you would love to see a team in Seattle. But I always worry about expansion because I love when the NBA is dense with talent. I, and when you add two teams, it dilutes things just a little bit. Do you think we're at a point now where we're ready, the NBA can handle two more teams from a talent standpoint? Well, I think... If I was just evaluating the talent, I would be a little nervous here. But I think it's time to do it. I don't know when the last expansion was, but it was a long Been time a while, ago. Yeah. Uh, and I think once you open up that window, the league will figure out how to find more talent uh, or develop more talent. I think the G League is something that's really getting better every year. You know, I'm, my son coaches here, and I watch a lot of his games. I go to a lot of his games. And the G League is better than it's ever been. I think there are more teams well-organized on how they use the G League. I heard today Porter Jr. might go down to, right. to yep. play in the G League. That, has, that hasn't happened as much as I think it should happen. Um, but I know in Philadelphia and with Kobe, my son's team in Wilmington, there's constant movement back and forth. And there's, there's a lot of, I mean, I mean, Kobe has to run a lot of Doc's plays, and I think that's the way it should be. It should be more of a connection. And I never felt we got that in Denver because there was never a G League team of substance. 
And but I think there are teams really using it to their advantage and better than other teams in the culture of development in, in the NBA. I, I I'm curious because I you kind of scoffed when I said that the league has a lot of talent right now. I think it does. I mean, part of this is we've opened up over the last 20 years so many new markets of basketball, the pipelines of basketball. Like now, you know, in the 90s, very few European players got on this or that. Now you look at it, there's basketball being grown in all these different corners of the world. Africa is now going to be a new emerging market. You obviously have South America, this or that. I look at it and I think there's hundreds of millions of more people growing up watching and playing basketball. There's hundreds of millions of more people that are being funneled towards the NBA. I think we have an enormous amount of talent. The league has its problems. It has its issues. But I look at it right now and I think the top 10 players in the NBA right now, Giannis, you know, Jokic, Joel Embiid, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Luka Doncic, you got all these guys. And I look at it and I go, those guys are really good. These are, I think one of the problems people are having, I talked about this earlier on the week on one of the shows, but one of the problems people are having is we've always had a Michael Jordan and everybody chasing him, LeBron James and everybody chasing him. I think we have a league right now where we have six or seven guys that at any given night could be that guy that everybody's chasing. So I think, and you kind of scoff, so I'm wondering, I think there's a lot of talent in the NBA right now. Do you, do you feel differently? Uh, you know, what I feel right now is there's parity of very good teams. You know, I might say that list might be 10 or 12. Yeah. But there's not a par- there's not a substantial who was the best team in the NBA is I mean, who is a team that we don't have an all-time team right now. You don't have a team that you're scared of. Right. You know, in a good way, that's good for Denver. Right. Because, you know, the team is everybody I think thinks is the best is Phoenix. But, you know, they're beatable. Phoenix is not, you know, they got, you know, they, they got, they got to the finals last year. But they didn't, I didn't think they played very well in the finals. Now, again, Milwaukee had to learn how to win in the finals. And Phoenix has probably got to do the same thing. But the parity in the league is below Phoenix in my mind. I mean, the West, the East has two teams, one and two, one, two, and three in the league, in the top of the league. You got Cleveland and and uh, come on, teams. Two, two, you got two teams, Chicago, Chicago, Chicago and yeah. Cleveland. that didn't make the playoffs last year. Okay, and Miami. Both of them very different there this year. There's, it's important to mention they they have but changed again, their roster. They make a hell of a trade and, and yeah. it works. Yeah. It worked. I mean, it worked almost in every area. I mean, DeRose and Caruso, all those guys came in and have dynamite have had a dynamite personality, added personality to their basketball team. And DeRozan, I think, in the last month, you know, you got to talk to him about MVP. <laughs> I mean, I mean, mid range has come back. I mean, he's, he's making some guys feeling good about shooting a 17, 18-foot jump shot because he doesn't shoot many threes. He's one of the all-timers at that mid-range is the thing right. about it. And, you know, I, I always get annoyed when people, like, talk about, oh, the mid-range, people said it wasn't good. I think, and you know this, there are great mid-range, Chris Paul, mid-range artist. Teams are going to concede the mid-range. He's going to take a lot of them. And the Bulls, I think, have found the right balance between putting pressure on the rim, putting tra- pressure from the three-point line, but being willing to take that mid-range as a result of where those pressures are now going, and, and it alleviates some of it. So, um, DeMar DeRozan, I'm, by the way, I'm really happy for DeRozan. Like, this is, I don't, can you think of a player that you've seen who's 
image as a player, meaning how people thought of them, had changed this late in his career. He's 32 years old. I feel like this year, his sort of legacy, I don't like to use the word legacy, but the way he's sort of viewed has been elevated more than at any point in his career. Yeah, and I actually think he was going down in his yeah. career. I mean, his last couple of years in San Antonio, he was a good player, but I think everybody was saying he, you know, he seemed like he was fading. And the new life has come to his body. He bounce, he's bouncier. He's better defensively. Uh, and he makes unbelievably difficult shots every night. Yeah. I mean, I mean, his shooting percentage is kind of reminds me of like what I played in San Antonio with George Gervin. Gervin, when he got going, yeah, I didn't know what the defense could do. Yeah, he's just so hot. He gets to his spots. And the I mean, shots he he can generate for himself are kind of unguardable. To shoot sixty to seventy percent from in an NBA game, well guarded, right? Is a that doesn't that doesn't exist. It doesn't. There's not many. I mean, well guarded shots don't go in in the NBA. Well, there's some guys that they do go in. And he's so good, like his footwork. His, his, he's so technically sound that everybody knows where he wants to go. He wants to go to that left hand and get to the left elbow and elevate and. Nobody can stop him from doing it because if you overplay it, then he goes right, and it just yeah. it, seems like he's bigger than he ever has been. Yeah. You know, he's, he's shooting over people at such a confident way that it makes him actually look like he's taller than everybody. This is one of the themes of our show that we've talked a lot about: is you know, basketball. This is what makes basketball so interesting. We always think about value for players in this vacuum of like he is this caliber player. Well, he was a different caliber player in. San Antonio than he was in Chicago and I think one of the lessons I hope fans kind of take away from that is like basketball is this evolving thing and sometimes the combination of a team combination around how it fits in can elevate a player and that's what I think he's in a very good situation not in that they make it easy for him but that he fits exactly what they need and they cover in the areas that he you know that he needs covered and it just blends together um and that brings us to what I know everybody's really curious about and that is DeMarcus Cousins. Now 10 games into his Denver Nuggets tenure, and the Nuggets are 10-0 and 0 in that time with him with him as a player. Um, I just, first, are you surprised at all, and are you impressed with what DeMarcus Cousins has done for the Nuggets over his 10 games, but in particular over this last like handful? I am extremely happy. I mean, I, I, I've always felt DeMarcus, you know, his... His weakness was over uh, playing a 35 or 40 minute stint on the court. He would find something to disrupt him. And he, he couldn't let it go. You know, he would carry a negative play. Instead of one or two plays, it could last a whole quarter. Right. And the energy that was that caused was it caused blame and shame in, on your team in the middle of a game. I mean, you can't have finger pointing and arguing and aggressive. I mean, you can have it. It might happen a half a dozen times in a season, but with Demarcus, it happens too often. That's going. That's gone now. That doesn't exist. So is what it, you see is his size and his yeah. hands, his basketball IQ, his ability to pass the ball, and he's learned playing with the, the Golden States and right. with teams that are trying to win a championship how important chemistry and connection is. And he's now become, he's always been a little bit of a, a little bit of an ass. Yeah. I mean, a, a good one, a bully, a physical presence on the court. And he always was good at that, and he'd get mad when the referees would blow the whistle on him. 
But he was he's always been a presence. And now he's doing in that short minute stint and doing it really, really well and kind of being the leader of the second unit. Yeah. I you mentioned the that attitude stuff that you're talking about, the energy it's really energy, I think, is the better way to say it, the negative energy. The Nuggets are ten and zero with him. Is there a reason to think well, maybe it's easy to have good energy when everything's going well. Like, we actually haven't seen that much adversity in his time with Denver so far. So are you checking this box and say, good, an area he's grown and he's bringing this, or is it still, let's wait and see what happens when the Nuggets maybe go through some adversity with him? I'm confident that he can handle what he's got now. Okay. I think he I think he knows he's got to regroup and re, kind of redo or reboot his, his career a little bit. And it might be as a a bench player on a really, really good team, and hopefully a team that gets further and further into the into the playoffs. Um, so I'm confident in that. Now, you know, if all of a sudden you're going to try to expand him to 25 minutes, I still think he, I, I really, I, I think he has a hell of a chance of handling that with some team. I don't know if that team is the Nuggets, but I think his maturity is showing. And as I said, I mean, I've always thought he was a smart basketball player. And I think he's just, he's feeling the pulse of the game, the soul of, of an NBA game and what, what winning in the playoffs, he kind of has experienced that a little bit. I wonder how much, I mean, I think smart players, and he's so skilled, his skill is the thing that's really impressed me. I knew he was a skilled guy. I've watched him, you know, his whole career. But he really is from handle to passing to all he does a lot of different skill things on the court that have kind of like really really impressed me do you think though <clears throat> you mentioned like you know what role going forward i don't know i always wonder if he's willing to be a backup from here on out the rest of his career if this is sometimes players look at this as hey i impress here some team's going to name me their starter do you think it's a challenge i know i'm putting you in his mind but just would do you would you guess it's a challenge for him to be a backup of another skilled center, a guy that plays kind of similar to him, and now it's like, hey, I'm the understudy. Well, you know, a guy that we had here in Denver that's turned into being one of the best backup centers in basketball is JaVale McGee. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he's doing he did a good job with Golden State. I think he did a good job with LA. Yep, and I think he's doing a good job this year with Phoenix. Phoenix yep. So you think like that for with DeMarcus? Because look, me and you can sit here and say we value a backup center, this or that, but we know players don't. I, I just don't know if he's at the point of his career if he's ready to accept being a backup for here and out, or if he just views this as a stepping stone. But you know him better. I would think he'd want a little bit more minutes than he's getting here. I'm thinking he would want to be probably be a six man type of candidate oh, that I see. plays twenty to thirty minutes rather than fifteen to twenty minutes. Uh, but I don't know. You know, I think a lot of that might be financial. I mean, if he's got, if he's saved his money and he's got a lot of money in the bank and he just wants to win and he wants to try to win a championship, and I could see him adapting. Yeah. Um, would you play him alongside Jokic? Because the only way to get him more minutes, I mean, he's right now playing whenever Jokic rests. You don't want to rest Jokic more. So does that mean you would play him alongside Jokic ever? <clears throat> wow. You know, I would, I would probably think about doing it just see in one of these games where you're pretty confident you have a I mean there are some games that tonight might be one of those games that you can experiment 10 minutes in the first half 
maybe, maybe, you know, if it works in the first half, you go a little bit in the second half. Um, I, I think you got to be a little scared of the pace of the game. Playing two bigs, just not many people do it anymore. And the tempo of a lot of teams in this league is the run. Right. And um, don't get me wrong, I mean, but if DeMarcus has a weakness, his, it's his transition D, yeah. is what is mis- at times disappears. And even his conditioning, I mean, I know he's coming off of some injuries and dealing with that, but he's playing, you know, like you said, 16 minutes right now, and I think he's winded by the end of that. And that's right. only 16 minutes. So to ramp that up an extra four or five, maybe it's something you work towards, but I would love to see it. I, I'm just... I don't. You know, I don't think it's a priority to use because right. I don't think the teams you're going to meet in the playoffs. Yeah, that's a good point. Are going to ever throw that at you? The only team that throws it on the court a lot that's a pretty good team in my mind right now is Cleveland. But with multiple bigs, yeah, uh, and they're skilled guys. I mean, Jared Allen's more of your traditional, you know, whatever. But Mobley can pass. He can. He can move. He can shoot. And I think that's the key. You can't have two just bullies that all need to occupy the same space but that's what's impressed me about demarcus he can handle from the top of the key and make I think good he's better decisions. i think he's better outside than inside really more of a face up and and, and the efficiency and, of inside basketball just isn't as efficient as outside basketball well i just and, and that's why i'm intrigued by it is you might offensively i don't think teams can cheat so a lot of times when you play two bigs they say okay we're going to cheat and do this because they can't pass out of the post or they can't do this both of those guys can do things that you can't cheat on them on that end of the court, and then very few teams have two bigs that can guard them inside, even if it's just talking about rebounding, not even posting them up, but just rebounding. The question is, can they handle it defensively? Neither of them are mobile, so you have to really maximize, in my opinion, you have to really maximize those offensive possessions because you're probably vulnerable to some some runs the other way. Uh, I mean, but I mean, Denver's strength is uh, they're a very efficient offensive team. Yeah. Most nights, even when they play poorly, they're pretty middle of the road efficient. Pl- that basketball team, they never have that bad, bad offensive game, and that, that's a compliment to Malone and, and Jokic because uh, you know their pace is not great. I don't think they get a lot of easy baskets. And they rely a great deal upon working together and being connected. Yeah. Why don't we hit our first break? On the other side, though, I do want to talk about Bryn Forbes. I want to talk about Bones Highland. And then, of course, building lineups and rotations. I'm very curious to get your thoughts on that. But our presenting sponsor today, as always, is DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, When Covington and Masvidal step into the octagon this Saturday at UFC 272, DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC, has a knockout offer for new customers. Bet just $1 on the main event, either guy, and you get $100 in free bets no matter what. You don't even have to be right on this one. Just bet on a, uh, on a fighter. First round knockout, you get paid. Majority draw, you get paid. Double knockout resulting in a no contest ruling. Probably not going to happen, but doesn't matter. Yep, you get paid $100 in free bets. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the top-rated sportsbook app right now, DraftKings Sportsbook. Use promo code DNVR and throw down that $1 bet at UFC 272's main event. Get $100 in free bets. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Minimum $5 uh, deposit. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. 
Back here on the Keeping It 1000 podcast, I want to remind you of all the great things George Carl is doing with Truth and Media, including the Truth and Basketball podcast. They got a lot of big projects. Talking to Brett, some of the big projects you guys have going on here. The empire continues to expand. Is there anything specific that, that's coming up you want to tease? You mentioned Spencer Awood. Well, the Seattle, the Seattle podcast has been really, really good, really successful. A lot of good stuff. We've had all the old-time guys on. Yeah. Uh, Spencer Haywood was really good. Uh, you know, like I talked to uh, Desmond Mason. He's going to come on. And Gary, Gary and Sean have been good to us. Uh, the one that's really interesting is Play It Back. Mm. It's, about, it's about college basketball of great teams that we kind of don't remember. Right. Or didn't win the championship but had still had an unbelievable year. Uh, Jameer Nelson was on with St. Yep. Joseph's. I thought that was really a classy one. Uh, we just got done with uh, Corey Brewer in Florida. So uh, I just think, you know, right now, the content we're trying to put out is soulful, truthful, and real. And, and more of kind of celebrating, not necessarily the top of the mountain, but teams that did it the right way. Teams yeah. that were really overachieved who they were and surprise people and did it in a, in a classy way. And this is one of the things, this is also, I think, become a theme of our conversations as we're talking here. I mean, you do the Forgotten Seasons shows as well. Like all of these talking about great teams, the great history, somehow we only ever remember the one winner or this or that, but there's so much more to it. Um, and I, I, I just, that's the way I approach sports. There's so many stories to be told and so many things you can learn. Uh, from those stories along Sometimes the, way. the losing story is actually better than the winning story, but no one reads about the losing story. Man, one of the great sports movies of all time, the original Rocky, which won an Academy Award. He lost. He went the distance. That's yeah. the story, but you're right. That's the, That was the story, and, and so I'm with you on this. Um, Bryn Forbes. As, uh, this Nuggets bench has been rolling lately. Bryn Forbes to, has exceeded my expectations. I mean, he's shooting 45% from three. Maybe it's as simple as that, but he's done some other stuff. What have you seen out of him uh, since joining Denver? I see a San Antonio Spur basketball player. Oh, I love that. Uh, a guy that knows shot selection, knows, you know, his job is to make threes, but it's, his job is not to be a volume three-point shooter. His job is to try to get quality threes. And his other end of the court is not bad. He's, he's a, Yeah, he's, he's, he's impressed. A, yeah, he's a defensive focused guy uh, doesn't have maybe the size and length that you might want at the off guard position but in the same sense he's fundamentally sound he's smart and he, he I don't think he's become a dynamic three point shooter yet but I think we all think he's going to get better mm. and be maybe more assertive and what I see when we've added him to the team all of a sudden, everybody else is shooting the ball better. Interesting. You know, I've always felt a great shooter makes other guys shoot the ball better. And there, I think there's something to that, for sure. And I think that's what happened is this team kind of was up and down on the three ball. They're not as much up and down anymore. Shooting is contagious. That's how I say. That's a good one. It's contagious. Um, it's funny you mentioned the defense. Earlier this week I talked about this because I think, you know, my perspective on him is he's not a good defender. And early on, I thought he was getting cooked. He was getting singled out, this or that. But so much of defense is the team, you know, the, the team. And I think that 
one of the things that's happened with this lineup is they've really found an identity and a rhythm and, and, a, and a connectiveness, to use your word. And I think because of that, all of a sudden now he can, to your point, follow a scheme. He can be in the right spot. He can read what's coming. And all of a sudden, he sticks out less defensively than what he was doing earlier on. And again, I think right. that's the strength of the unit. Um, Bones Highland also playing a lot more minutes here. I think it might work out because I'm with you. You one area you've really influenced me is this idea of like young players. You're not, you can't count on them, especially in the playoffs. That's not how you win. You develop young, but it might be a while. They might be in the sweet spot with Jamal Murray returning, where Bones Highland gets all these minutes, but come playoff time, he's out of the rotation, which I think would be good for Denver. What do you see? Um, what have you seen from him? Have you been impressed <clears throat> with his sort of growth over the last month? I've definitely been impressed. Uh... He's a little wild and crazy for me. Uh, you know, I'm a shot selection guy, and shot selection is not negotiable very much in my existence. I had JR in my life, and, I, and, and, and I'm not saying Bones is like JR, but He's Bones has personality sometimes that his shot selection gets a little woo. Um, but definitely a, a hell of a pick. I mean, I see the upside. I see... I probably like his passing more than most guys. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure he's ever going to be a, a point guard, a true point guard. But there's going to, there will be a growth there that will help him establish himself for whatever he is right now. I think he's probably a, a 15 to 20 minute guy. And I think he's going to be a 20 to 25 minute guy very soon. And maybe someday he could be a starter. Do you kind of see it the way I see it of if Jamal Murray comes back, it almost saves you from having to play him in the playoffs? Or do you think if they go into the playoffs and play him, they'll be all right? I think he becomes a wild card in the playoffs. You play him, you might give him a short minutes, and when he's on, he gets a little, a little, bit, a little more minutes. Uh, I had a guy in Seattle when I first moved there, and Dana Bears was that type of guy. In the, in the regular season, he won games for us. But in the playoffs, his size and the physicality of the game at that time, you know, you, there's times you could play him and get away with it. And then there, I remember one game, I was in game seven against Houston. I put him in the game in the third quarter. It might have been because of foul trouble. And he hit three threes in a row. Yeah. And it was like he played like six minutes. That's all you need. <laughs> and I took him out. And afterwards, the first question, of course, at the press conference is, why didn't you keep Dane in there? I said, yeah. I got what I needed. You got exactly. It's so true, man. Sometimes that really is all it is. And I like that you said wild card because when I say he probably doesn't play in the playoffs, I mean, first of all, who knows? We'll see who's healthy by that point and if Murray is even back and can play or what have you. But, you know, if he does get cut out of the rotation, I wouldn't be surprised if he swung a game. I don't know in which direction. It might, he might be that you put him in for six minutes because of foul trouble or injury or this or that. And maybe those six minutes, he has two or three turnovers, and, and you get outscored by seven, eight points, and the game gets tilted. Or maybe he comes in, and to your point, makes a couple layups, makes a couple threes, and, mm -hmm. and then you won those ones. I, but I don't know that he's like a six games in a series type guy. No, he might be a guy that plays at home and not on the road. Oh, there's another one, yeah. Or he might, he might, I mean, but, but I think he's played pretty well on the road. His three-point percentage is like a lot better at home. Uh, than it has, which is true of most players, but especially true of most rookies. Another guy, we've talked a lot about Monte Morris this year, 
and I'm kind of I get the sense that you like him but don't love him especially as a point guard and I just he's had a fantastic couple of weeks stretch here with a couple of game winners have you been impressed at all with what he's done lately and the impact he's had I have um, you know Monte to me is a hell of a hell of a backup point guard yeah and he's moving in a direction whereas a lot of people think he could be a starting point guard in the NBA and the only, the only reason I say that is I was with some guys watching the game a, about a week or two ago. And I, I said to them, what does Monte Morris remind you of? And the guy someone threw out that was really a guy that I loved, Maurice Cheeks. Mm. You know, I don't know if guys, people even remember Maurice Cheeks, but he was a solid, great, really good defender, no mistake guy. And every year he got a little bit better to the point where I don't I, I don't know if he ever made an all-star team. But I know he made the NBA Finals and they won championship one year with, with the 76ers. And he's had an extended long career. I think he's sitting on the bench in Chicago. Yeah, no, Memphis. And everything else. He's in Memphis now. And so there's John Moran. He had mm, Westbrook in there. Okay, interesting. I see what you're saying. And I, I just think Mo Cheeks... There might be a connection there. A little influence, yeah. Because Mo wasn't a, a talented, fast, speedy guy. And more, Monte's not a fast, talented, speedy guy. He gets the most out of what he is, and he has a lot of winner in him. Right, right. You know, it's, it's about winning with him, and his skills are more about winning than maybe spectacular. I really like Monte. I just, I'm very impressed with him and the – the chemistry he has with you. I mean, he's played with Jokic for a lot of years now. I mean, his whole career. But he's he's got a lot of reps mm -hmm. under his belt. But those guys right now, he's not as dynamic as Murray in that he can just beat a guy off the dribble or this or that. But the way those Jokic and Monte have run the pick and roll in the fourth quarters of these last few games has been, I mean, it's exactly what you need. You're getting the shots you want in the clutch right now with him on the court. And in his case, twice over the last couple of weeks, he's the one hitting the, sh the big shots that you generate. So... I'm a big fan. I give a lot of credit to Jokic, though. Jokic, at the end of the game, now he's become a facilitator. You know, now, you know, last year I thought it was more, I mean, he scored it more, and now he, he orchestrates it now. I mean, there's no question. I think this is one of the things I've been making the case now as I start to go on these different shows talking about the MVP and making a case for Jokic. <laughs> My thing I keep saying is I think Jokic – People, people always think about him as a one-on-one -on -one player. I don't think there's another all-star caliber player out there that he wouldn't fit with as a two-man game. doesn't matter which type of player it is. He can adjust his game to be a perfect two-man game partner for that player. And I don't know how many players you could say that about. I mean, this year, we, you talk now, and we're talking about how he's helping Montan. Didn't we just talk about a month ago about how he's helping Aaron Gordon? Right, yep. Um, Will Barton and him I mean, have a good two-man game? Uh, and I, it's, I don't know, the MVP stuff is just, I've been, as you get, as one of the conversations on national media is right. the MVP race. And I just get crazy about it. I mean, I mean, Jokic is, was the MVP last year. He has an injured basketball team. It's two, two probably their two best shooters aren't on the team. And he's, and he's made this team work. And he has better numbers than he's ever had. Right. So how can't you talk about him? <laughs> and, he, and he plays every night. Yeah. I mean, he missed a couple of games this year, but 
Basically, he plays every night. It's suspended and then a wrist injury for, I think, five games or something like that. So it's not like it's that many games. A funny stat, I put this out. The Nuggets are 35-20 and 20 with him in the lineup through 55 games. 35-20. and 20. Last year, they were 35-20 and 20 with him in the lineup through 55 games. Right. They had the same record, minus two starters. It's just amazing the, the things that this guy can do. Um, so I'm with you. I, there's so many different cases you can make. I actually had a... Um, somebody in a front office from not from Denver, from a different team, reach out to me yesterday just to share with me their internal metrics, you know, individual metrics. And the chart literally had Jokic off of it. He had to give me a second page to show me, hey, Jokic is up here, the whole NBA down here and him up here. So and that was kind of a defensive stat, I think, too. Uh, well, this was an internal one. He said, don't share it. This is our own like in house metric, but Jokic is literally I've seen off of ones the where. His numbers actually are probably more impressive defensively yeah. than offensively. Yeah. So I want to talk about lineups and rotations because it's a, one of the ways that fans really talk about about the game. They always wonder why are these combinations going. My first question is, when do you first start thinking about what your lineups are going to be? Is it off season? Is it in training camp? Like, when does that first thought cross your mind? It all happens in training camp. Okay. Who plays well with each other? Uh, I've always liked to have a, a really good bench, a confident bench, a bench that 75, 80% of the time is having an impact on the game. Um, I like veteran guys on your bench a little bit more than, you know, I think, and since I've been in Denver, I think they've had more young players on the bench more than veteran guys. I like guys that, you know, were really good starters and now they're at the stage in their career that they can be really good People don't understand when you come off the bench, you get to play against second-tier players most of your minutes. And so if you're a guy that was playing against first-tier players and was close to being really good, he's going to probably be really good playing against second-tier players because I've always been amazed why, like Will Barton, why he wants to start. Well, why don't you play 20 minutes of your time on the court against second-tier players? I think you're going to be better. It's going to be easier for you. Uh, but they don't want to buy that. I wonder if this is the last, I think it is the last year of Will Barton starting. And, and I want like some of the numbers right now are showing if you swap out Will Barton for Austin Rivers, it's not a big enough sample size, but you put him in there and actually the team performs better. And I'm just curious to see if that's a thing that you extrapolate over. And I think for a lot of the reasons you're saying, just you take off one primary score. I mean, Will Barton's kind of a primary score for the iteration they have right now. If it just makes it easier to know, okay, here's where our shots are going. Austin Rivers is not eating up possessions. You know, he he fits in. He knows. Well, I think I, I took my hat to. I think Austin Rivers earlier in the year he was floundering. He yeah, was, he was. He, he was like, I don't know what is going on, but I think however how he got straightened out has been a big part of why the bench now has confidence. Right. I mean, we had bad moments and we had good moments and bad moments. And just and then when you have that, what you have to go with that is blame. Yeah. You know, right. you're blaming things. You're blaming on the coach. You're blaming on each other. You're blaming on taking too many threes, whatever the, whatever the analysis was for the failure. So if I'm understanding you right, when you look at your lineups and rotations, you almost start with, I mean, you want to see who plays together. I know you have your cornerstone guys, but you almost start with the bench thinking, how do I make this work? And then... And then kind of go from there. Well, I, talk, I talked about Corey Brewer. He was on the show. I talked to Corey yesterday, and we were all talking about how he and Andre yeah. had this chemistry. Yep. From the very beginning in training camp, you knew that Andre and Corey, 
Andre loved the guy who could really run and get yeah. ahead of the pack. Uh, Corey had a backdoor move. He had a lob action. They're all th- and Andre just they fit. And I thought, you know, then we we always had a big plan with them. We had uh, Javale, or you know, Al Harrington or somebody like that. And it was just, uh, I probably do think about the bench as much as I think. I don't think I think about the bench probably first, but I definitely think I think about the bench as much as I think about the starters. Starters aren't. It's how you rotate the game and and having different personalities. Some nights you want to maybe rotate little. Some nights you maybe want to rotate big. Sometimes you rotate defense. But you got to have a personality. And the more personalities you have, then the more cards you have to deal in the game. Do you ever look at for like a death lineup, meaning a, a five-man lineup that you know can really cause some damage, but it's maybe not a high-minute one, just like, hey, I want to arrive at this point for five minutes or three minutes in the first half, three minutes in the second half? Well, I think I, I think for the most part here in Denver, uh, we especially when we started Costa Cufas and Kenneth Freed, we always had one spot and sometimes even two spots that the guys starting aren't guaranteed to finish. Right, right. And I think that was fun as a coach. When it works, it's fun. When it doesn't work, it's painful. <laughs> but it's fun when you have the – and so what I was doing as the game is going on is – how am I going to finish? You know, so in the second quarter, I'm already trying to figure out what is, and sometimes the game dictates how you finish, but, um, you know, how do you put your best team on the court for the game at hand? As I said, some nights, Al Harrington's lack of defense was no problem. And then there are other nights that Kenneth Free's offensive rebounding was a better choice. And then there's every once in a while you could play two bigs. Mm. Uh, So, you know, different as coaching, you know, and having a window, one window and maybe one and a half windows of how you finish. It makes it fun when it works. Let's forget Jamal Murray and Michael Porter for just a second. Is there a lineup Denver has that you think, I would love to see that group of guys out? Even if it's a three-man lineup, five-man lineup, whatever it is, is there a combo you're like, that's that's kind of where I would try to go a lot. Well, to me, uh, with the team right now, you got three, three. I think Gordon, Jokic, and Monte. Yeah. Are to me are guaranteed in the lineup. Yeah. Um, and I I think that gives again it gives Malone an ability to play around and find who the fourth and fifth guy are going to be. He's acted that way, by the way. Like Barton hasn't closed every game. Jeff Green hasn't closed every game. Right. Sometimes Austin Rivers gets the nod there, or somebody else. Yeah, and I think Austin Rivers actually has gotten the nod a lot. Yeah, um, in the, because I think probably because his size and his defense, yeah. and his also when they play three little guards, it's always kind of been my thing. Play three point guards, and Austin Rivers is not a point guard, but he has good passing skills and good decision making abilities. This question comes to us from the audience from Big Honey One Two Three. He asks if the Nuggets get their full starting five back before the playoffs, and I think they will. I mean, we'll find out with Jamal, but it looks like Michael Porter coming back. Who would you want to see in the eight or nine man playoff rotation? So you have to add back a Michael Porter and a Jamal Murray. So we can go ahead and make this easy and say Jokic is in there, Monte is in there, Aaron Gordon is in there. After that, Will Barton's in there. 
Oh yeah. I mean, well, I mean, <clears throat> that's a tough call, and I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's going to be as fluid as the fans want it to be. Jamal Murray has a tough injury. Michael Porter back is not my favorite injury either. Um, I think you're going to have to try to get Jamal trying to get him as close to what he was. So you got to give him minutes. I would be careful with Porter Jr. And then the Barton Porter Jr. thing is going to come up on the radar. What do you mean? Who starts? Who comes up? You don't think, well, Jeff Green would be the guy I would imagine gets replaced. You don't think he would be replaced if he did, if Michael Porter were to be back in the starting lineup? I like the bench right now. I mean, for the last for the last three weeks, it seems like we have a consistent rotation of the bench, and the and the little guy Fasu Fasu can come off as a third, as a motivator, as an inspiration, which is that's what he is. He's an NBA lifter. He lifts the game, and you know you put him in there when things aren't going right. He might give you six minutes of energy, and everybody figures it out. Uh, so I like how we come off the bench. So you're telling me two of those guys got to go sit and not play. I'm not sure that excites me, to be honest with you. I think you can have too much talent. Mm. And you can have a situation where maybe the bench now can't ever be. The, the bench it might have to be rotating to. Might not be good as the bench is now. So much of Add the bench. Add talent, but, but still become lesser as a whole. Yeah. Uh, too much talent sometimes on the bench and shot selection, who's shot and whose team it is. Whew. I mean, don't get me wrong. You always like the more, you like more talent. You always want to coach talent. But there's a point where connection and chemistry and confidence is more important than talent. Jamichael Green and Zeke Naji have sort of gone back and forth. Most of this is like they haven't been healthy at the same time, but they play. They occupy the same space. How do you evaluate those two, and, and where's your trust if you were had to divvy up between those two? <clears throat> I would lean toward the veteran guy. Uh, I think he's starting to play better than he did, or played earlier he's in the year. He's been great last five games or so. Whatever. Um, I think it would probably maybe be a little more of a game plan in the playoffs. Interesting. You know, is are we coming off the bench and do we need a defender in there or do we need an offensive lift in there? Um, you know, I think Green is more of a physical player, more of a rebounding player. Um, and again, I would pro- I, I just think you're going to play Bones back in the backcourt. Porter Jr. is a young player. I just think you might be pushing your limit going with a lot of young players. It's funny because what you're talking about here, about veteran players off of the bench, Denver's renaissance with their bench, I call it a renaissance here, it's only been 10 games or so, their renaissance has featured Bones, a very young player, mm-hmm. Bryn Forbes, who's a veteran, Austin Rivers, who's a veteran, Jermichael Green, who's a veteran, DeMarcus Cousins, who's a veteran. Mm-hmm. So to your point, you get a little bit more veteran and, and all of a sudden that lineup's rolling. I mean, I think it also has to do with the pieces fitting, but it's not lost on me that it's also just guys that maybe are easier to adjust to what is needed veteran players make it fit make mm-hmm. i like that's a good young players like that. don't make it fit because they don't know how they're still learning the game you got it 
that's interesting, man. I, I, I think you're on to something for sure on that one. DeMarcus Cousins in the playoffs. This isn't a universal truth, but oftentimes teams get smaller. I imagine there might be games where DeMarcus Cousins just doesn't play or play significantly fewer minutes than what he will in the regular season. Can, can you foresee a scenario where you get into a matchup that's like, hey, this isn't for you off the bench? And how, as a, again, we're talking about the positive attitude things. How do you handle it if he doesn't play, the team loses? Are, are you concerned at all that maybe that doesn't sit well? I think DeMarcus is going to take whatever is dealt his way. I don't think he's going to rock the boat. I mean, it might determine what he does next year. Right. Yeah, uh, because I, I think he's got to figure out what he wants. To, does he want to be, as we right. talked about before, does he want to be a bench player on a good team? Or does he want to establish himself on an average or below average team as a starter? Uh, I, 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 th I actually think, I think DeMarcus is leaning, from what I see, he's leaning towards being on a good team. Interesting. That would be, I would, I, I'm surprised at how much I've taken to Boogie. To be honest, he hasn't been my favorite player because all the reasons you're talking about, I, you can see the negative energy. And I've played basketball long enough competitively to know what that's like, to know guys and what that's like. So I haven't been the biggest fan, but I've been extremely impressed. And I'm almost shocked at how much I sort of like look forward to watching him play every night because he really is a fun player. Kale, you have some questions for us here in the chat. we got about five minutes here. Just um, a couple. Just a couple here. we got some good ones. Thoughts on how big it is that the Nuggets have a G League team to send MPJ to mm. now. How could it affect the Nuggets team he coached if he had one? I think it helps his – I mean, if you if, – if Michael Porter Jr. came on the team today, he would be practicing against the, the staff and not the basketball team. As where you can make your G League practice. You can make your G League play games – and he's going to get quality minutes in the G League. And I think his rehab or his confidence or his, his feel for the game of basketball will come back faster by playing in the G League than trying to play in an NBA game and maybe play well sometimes, but then also play poorly. Yeah. So I think it's a – baseball has done it for years. It's true. Um I think football is actually trying to search for a minor league system of some way to where they can hide some players or develop some players. And then if that, that works out, you might be able to take a player down there and injury-wise, get him healthy by playing, by playing rather than just saying he's ready. The G League's so interesting to me. Nick Stauskas last night, Nick Stauskas, who's been a, a bust you know, in, in the NBA, had 57 points. In the G League, I don't know how to evaluate the G. I know it doesn't matter, like it does, but 57 points. I don't care. Did if they win? I don't even know to be honest with you. I saw the headline that he had 57. I don't know, but well, I just didn't Isaiah just have? 15? He had he had 45 and and 42 or something. I mean, that's why I look at these numbers sometimes and I'm like, I don't know how to evaluate that man. I I, I just don't. I don't know. I don't, I'm not watching the games, of course. I don't have the time to to scout that league as well. But I don't know. It's, I see those numbers all the time out of the G League, and it doesn't make sense. What else we got? <clears throat> we got a super sticker. Thumbs up. Awesome. Thank you, Hugo. Uh, and then this one came after a long version of this, but do we stand a chance this year? <clears throat> I would probably put the Denver Nuggets in the second tier of uh, possibility. 
but the first tier doesn't have a lot of teams. The first tier might, in my mind, have two, maybe three teams. Phoenix? Who, who are the other ones? I, you know, I'm going to give Milwaukee yeah. their, their respect. Um, and somewhere in the second round, one of those teams, Philadelphia, oh, Chicago, like is going to identify right. that they're for real. I don't know who I'd bet on. I'm, I you know, I'm, I'm kind of like Philadelphia a little bit. Uh, I thought, and the reason I say that is because I said Harden was going to be a failure in Brooklyn, and he was exactly he was the he was the man in the room. He was the he was the guy that composed that team, and if he can compose Embiid into playing the right way all the time, and he play at an All Star level, that's pretty powerful. Yeah. And they and the Maxi. The, the the kid from Alabama. Yeah, Maxi. Yeah, Tyrese Maxi. Uh, that kid. That kid's coming. Yeah, he's a good player. That kid's coming. He can score the ball. He can get where he wants to on the court. What else there, Kale? We got another one. All right. Really, kind of last one you didn't answer is why does Embiid get more free throws than Jokic? The only thing I can say to you is I think Embiid is more athletic and more physical than Jokic is. Jokic has got great footwork. He plays in slow motion. Um, uh, I just think, you know, I, I, I think Embiid does it with, with athletic talent and a wow factor, as where Jokic does it with fundamental footwork and cleverness and cuteness. He reminds me a little bit of how he felt about Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan was a great player that no one ever thought was a great player. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that does it. Did we have another one, Kale? I saw there was one more on there. Okay, that does it. You already answered it. Okay. Um, Coach, this was a good episode. Uh, I didn't think we got angry enough. I know. I thought you were going to get more mad at me. Well, you know, you're you're kissing up to him, so I let you have that. <laughs> you always think, is it, you're tuning into the shows, I take it, then. That, that's, that's where you're getting this from. I don't carry on all the shows. I mean, some of them I do. There you go. If I if I have days like today, I go bike ride. I usually listen to something. There you go, man. It is nice. This is a perfect day for a bike ride. Uh, well, I appreciate it. It's been fun. Don't forget to check out all the great stuff they are doing over there at Truth and Media, including the Truth and Basketball podcast. And subscribe. This you might have caught this one today live, but if you didn't, this is in podcast form on the Keeping It One Thousand podcast. It's in all your podcast feeds: Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever it is. So go there, subscribe, leave a five star rating and review, and we'll see you guys next week.